Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Good morning. Um, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the staff here at Rev22. And if you're here for the first time, welcome to our church. So back in 04, I was living in India, and I was on a mission trip. I was working with Youth with a Mission back then. And um, we, were, we, were made to, we, we were sent out to this beautiful, beautiful village in India, in the south part of India. And we were staying for three months in, um, in a mango grove, right, in the center of this beautiful mango grove. And... Uh, it was kind of cool because there's all this vegetation, this, uh, we, there were plants and animals and everything in there. It was pretty cool. And I remember one morning, a Saturday morning, we were heading out to do a mission work, right, ministry. And uh, we were walking through this beautiful green, beautiful place. And as I, we came to the spot in our journey to get to the bus, st- bus stop, I heard a kitten, right, a meowing of a kitten. And just so you know, this place was filled with animals, like dogs and cats and everything. So I don't know why I, I could hear this one specific kitten. I didn't think much of it. And we went ahead. We spent the whole day traveling around and doing our ministry. And we came back about 9 o'clock at night, exhausted, tired, right? And uh, we were walking back to our, to our house in the, in the mango grove. And that same spot, guess what I heard? The kitten, right? I was wondering, what's, what's up with that? It's kind of late at night. Why, why is this kitten over here? And I thought maybe he's just following us around. I didn't think much of it, right? And just so you know, this is monsoon season, so it's raining constantly in India at this time. And Sundays were very interesting because this, this village was very high on, very, there was very severe persecution going on at this, at this time, and even, even now. So to go to church on Sunday morning, we had to break our 10 group members into smaller groups so that people will not know that we were together. We had to send our, the guitar and our Bibles with somebody else in a vehicle before we could get there because they should... They, if you see with Bibles in our hands, we'll be in trouble. So we had to move everything over. So we took about three hours to get to maybe a, a I'm going to say, a seven or eight-mile you know, trip to the church because we had to break into smaller groups. So at 4 o'clock in the morning, we are heading out to get to this church. And as I was walking in the dark to the bus stop, guess what I heard? The kitten, okay? So I was wondering, what's, what's up with this kitten? And why am I hearing this all the time? But then we couldn't stop. We had to keep moving. So... We went, spent the whole day doing ministry, and as you might know, Sundays are pretty heavy, pretty heavy days for, for us. Coming back, it began to drizzle a little bit, but four in the afternoon, exhausted, walking back to our, to our house, to the mango grove, and guess what I heard again? The kitten, right? And I had to know, I wanted to know, what, what's going on? What is this sound? So I ran back to my house, put my stuff away, and went back to the spot where I, I heard that kitten and started following the sound. It took me off path, and it took me to uh, an irrigation well, okay? Now, in India, we have these huge 50 to 100 feet in diameter, huge wells that are made for, uh, for irrigation purposes, right? And this, they are not meant to be drunk, drank from. The water was dirty. There was moss growing all around it, and uh, they were just built with huge boulders, huge rocks, so there's no way you can go in or out. And in India, well, I learned to swim in, a, in an irrigation well. What people do is they... <laughs> Owners would, uh, would plant spikes under the surface of the water so people won't jump in them because they don't want people to use them. So if you're not sure, what you, if you jump in, you may get hurt or maybe even die. 
So that was this. So this is this well, and then I see this little kitten holding onto a ledge, okay, and I see that, and I I run back saying, "Hey guys, we gotta we gotta rescue this kitten." So we all we all get there, and now it's drizzling heavier, and it's getting cold. My buddy found a pail, this this cast iron bucket, tied a rope to it, and let it down the this this well, hoping to rescue this kitten. And we were hoping not to hit the kitten and kill it with the bucket, so we we're being very very careful. And because there was water in the bucket, the, the kitten would not jump in the bucket. It just wouldn't get it. So we kept trying and trying and trying. And now it began to rain. It's getting dark, and it just got really, really weary for us. And the kitten just would not get it. And at one point, my buddy just decided to get the bucket out and take the bucket off the rope and tie a big knot in the rope and send the rope by itself. And after maybe half an hour of trying that, the kitten finally got what we were trying to do, and it held onto the rope. And we rescued that kitten that night, right? Pretty cool story, right? Now I went back to my house, to the house we were living in, and and I journaled that day. And for me, this story was the story of salvation, right? I was that kitten. I was that that little kitten, helpless, and and God rescued me. That was what I got from that story, all right? And I'm pretty sure most of you here might think, yeah, I, I can see that. But what I want to share this morning is a little different because a lot of the story can resonate with our salvation, but I think we give God less credit if we only see this as an example of God's salvation and what God has done for us. And this morning, I, I, I'm going to try, I'm going to let God speak through me that we will see the extent that God has done for us, okay? So if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand, we'll get you a copy, and if you if you don't own a Bible and you want a copy, let us know. We'll get you a copy somehow, all right? So we're going to continue our learning from the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. That's the passage for today, 1 Corinthians 26 to 31. And I want us to focus on verse 26, all right? And just the first part of verse 26, it begins with, it says, Consider your calling. Consider your calling. And I want us to stop right there and not go any further in this passage right now. Because Paul is, is getting the people, the church in Corinth, to, to look into what this word means. Okay? Consider means to turn your thoughts, to contemplate, to look at, to carefully examine. Okay? So we have to carefully examine this word calling. So if I said, what do, you, what do you think the word calling means? I'm pretty sure we'll all have our own ways of maybe defining it. And my definition of the word calling was different. But two years ago, we, we went on a, a staff retreat two years ago with, with our church elders, and I realized how much I did not know what this word really meant. And the elders kind of helped us understand this, and it was cool to see how, how far away I was from the truth of what the Bible talks about with the word calling. So we have to look into this word. So the first, first of all, the word calling is used about 56 times in the Bible where it relates to us calling onto God, Okay. So when we talk to God, we call on to God, it's our plea, our cry, our worship to God, right? So this is not talking about us talking to God, this is God, God calling us. So it's a little different here. So the first thing I want to make sure you, we understand is that calling means initiation. Calling means something that God does before we even know he's doing anything in our lives. I'm sure most of you here could relate to a time when you do not know God, Right? You were living in sin, doing whatever you wanted to do. Uh, or maybe you were, you, were, you were young and you found Christ at a very young age. Maybe that could be the truth too. Either way, there was a time in your life when you did not know Christ as your Savior. And God was working in the background before that point. 
God already had you in mind. And that is God's initiation to us. And the call of God talks about that element of God working much, much before we even knew God existed in our lives. In Romans 8, verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's the first thing, God's initiation in us. That's, that's the meaning of the word calling. The second meaning I think we should look into is election. This is not politics. This is just what... What's, <laughs> election is, is God's way of, of choosing us. And the, the word call or calling also in Greek and Hebrew means, implies a new name, a new identity. All right? So if you look at the Old Testament in, in Genesis, we see how... How Adam goes to the garden and he, he calls the animals by name and he names them, right? And we see how Isaiah talks about how God calls the stars by name. And we see in the New Testament how, how Jesus calls Cephas Peter. And we see how Paul, sorry, Saul becomes Paul. So there's, a, there's a, an element of God giving us a new identity in, in him. So when we are in Christ, when God calls us, he makes us a new creation. We are a new person, a new being in Christ, and that is calling. You guys are tracking so far with me? The third element of the word calling is destiny. So it's not that just that this word means that God was working in the background before we even knew he existed, God's initiation or God's election, but also destiny. If you look at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son. Talking about the future, right? Philippians 3 verse 14 says, I press on towards the goal. This is Paul saying, I'm running towards this prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the word calling is a very, very beautiful, beautiful word. So when Paul says, remember your calling, that is a profound thing to think about, that God, by his grace and by his mercy, without me deserving it, had me in his mind, had me in his heart, and he chose me. For some weird reason, he chose you and me. And that should just be the best thing you can ever hear, okay? Because there are a lot of people who don't get it, who hear the truth but don't understand it, who see what God is doing but don't see what's really going on because their eyes are blinded, their hearts are not open to receiving God. But you and I have had the opportunity to be able to receive truth and we know that God is real. Now, I think very often in my life, I have made the mistake of using the word call or calling to talk about what I do or what I want to do, or who I want to marry, right? I want God's calling me to marry her, right? You guys have heard that before? Run away if you hear that, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but so often we, we use the word calling to talk about what we do. And I've done the same thing too. And I, and I want to, to share that in the Bible, the only time you see some kind of a reference to that is with Paul when he says that, that Christ has called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, okay? Or to preach the good news to the Gentiles. And even in this, if you see the way Paul is saying it, he's talking about what God has done in him, the gift that God has given him to make him an apostle, to be a witness to the Gentiles. He's not bragging about what he's doing for God. So the, the term calling, okay, has nothing to do with what we do and everything to do with he, what he has done and is doing in your life. That's the way the word calling is used in the Bible. And I think so often we, we use it differently. And I just realized that we should not elevate our vocation to be as equal as God's election and God's work of salvation. I think so often when we use the word calling loosely, we do that. 
whether we know it or not, we raise what we do to be as equal as what God has done for us. And that's kind of arrogant, you know, if you think about it. And also, another thing that I noticed was there is a posture that, that changes when we use the word calling very, very flippantly. For example, if someone had to come to me and say, hey, Jonathan, we, you know, we've, God is calling us to leave Boise, right? We want to go to Africa and do some ministry there. We, I want, we want to just relocate, right? And God is calling us to do that. When they say that, you know, it, it implies that I don't have much to give or much to contribute to this discussion because they've made up their mind. And so often I've done that. I've said, God's calling me to do this just to, just to tell people not to give me feedback because I don't want that feedback. I've made up my mind. I know what I'm doing, so God's calling me to do it. So stop talking to me. That's what I've, I've, I've said that without saying that in those words, right? But if, if I had to say to the elders and say, hey, I've been praying about this. My wife and I are praying about this, and God has given us this passion, this desire to do this for him. Could you pray along with us and see if this is true so that we can make the right decisions? Because we don't want to f- just follow our emotions and, and get in trouble later. That posture is more godly. So I want you to think about that, but how often do you use this word loosely? <laughs> okay? And by that way, you're building walls in your gospel community. When you say, God is calling me to quit my job. Is that true? You know? Is that really true? Is God working with you in your heart in the season while you go through a difficult season in your, in your job, in your, in your marriage, you know, where you are right now? So I want to be aware of how I use this word, and I want hopefully all of us to be more aware of how we communicate to our gospel communities, to our peers, to our elders, and say, hey, I'm praying about this. I have this desire to, to do this for God. Could you pray along with me and confirm this? Now, this is just the first line of the first verse, okay? So the second part of verse 26 is, he says, remember your calling, or pay attention to that, and he says, not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. And there are three examples that Paul is giving here to the Corinthian church, and Danny did a great job last Sunday talking about how the church in Corinth was this melting pot of different cultures and ethnic groups and just different people, right? You had the Greeks, you had the Romans, you had the Jews, and Paul is talking about how not many of you were as smart as Joe, you know, who's a Greek, who's a philosopher, right? Not many of you were strong as Romans. So the Greeks were the, they were the smartest people. They were, the, they were known for their wisdom and philosophy, right? So Paul is saying, not many of you were as smart as these guys. The Romans were a symbol of power. The, the what's that, the Pax Romana, they, they had it figured out. They, knew, they believed that they could have peace with control, and, and structure. They had the Senate. They had all these good things going on, and they believed that this is the way we can attain peace and unity. And the Jews, it was all about status in society, right? Jesus talks about this. He says, when you go to a, to a wedding feast, don't sit at the best seat for the most coolest people in the, in the, in the, on the table, because they would look at the table and see who's the noble, who's the, the celebrity among us, who, who has this, this heritage of, of great people in their lives, right, in their history the lineage. And Jesus says, hey, go find the most lowliest part there so that when they see you, they'll invite you to sit at a higher place. The Jews were all about saying, so who's your dad? Who's your mom? Where do you come from? Which town do you live in? Did you know so-and-so? That was the way they, they related. So Paul is saying, not many of you were that way. And I want you to pay attention to this, okay? It's not saying that none of you were wise, okay? It's saying not many of you were. So there were people who were influential, who were strong, who were powerful. Not all of them were. And that's an observation to be, to, be, to, be, to be attention to because God does not pick and choose people the way we do. I just realized that if I were God, 
Thankfully, I'm not. You know, the, the White House will be, will be saved in an instant. God could do that. Wouldn't that be nice if he just made them all to believe in him? He can do that. But God does not do that. God chooses people like you and me. Okay? And he does choose certain people who are influential, but not all the time. Because he does not operate as how man does. Our ways are foolishness when it comes to the way God does things in our world. You know, I've made the mistake of, you know, I've seen on the news or on YouTube or whatever, but some celebrity who became a Christian, some rock star, right? And, I, you know, sadly, this, I would not say this, but I've thought of this. Like, ah, that's good for Jesus, you know? Yeah, we got a good guy there. He's going to be talking about Jesus now, right? Good for you, God. Good for you, Jesus. You know, you're doing a good job up there, converting people, right? Saving them. God does not need that. God does not need someone who's a celebrity who is vocal about their faith. God uses simple people. And he uses the wise too. And the funny thing is, if you think about why God chose Paul to be an apostle, I think Brent mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, God chose Paul to suffer for him. That's the reason why, that's what the Bible says in Acts. So God chooses people for various reasons, all right? And verse 26 talks about what Paul's saying, hey, see what God has done, God called you, see who you are, look around and see who God has picked. Isn't that funny how we are all here in the same room that God has chosen us? And verse 27, let's look at this verse. It's a little different. He says, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Now, if you, have paid, if you pay attention to this, there's something that sounds funny. It, it just reads wrong. It's almost grammatically incorrect. Do you see that? Verse 26 is talking about who? about the people in the church in Corinth, right? Verse 27, who is it talking about? It's not the people, is it? It says God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So I had to go a little deeper to see what, what's God trying to teach us here, right? Is this a mistake? Which shouldn't be, right? And I noticed some things. So anybody here who loves... Gr- Latin, Greek, you know, grammar. Yes, homeschoolers, okay. okay. <laughs> no, okay. All right, so if you look at the, the, the root form, the form of the word in, in verse, uh, and Karen, homeschoolers and Karen, there you go, okay. okay. In verse 26, all right, the word wise, powerful, and noble birth. Just so you know, most languages outside of English, they all have a gender, okay? Nouns and verbs have genders. And... In verse 26, the word wise, powerful, and noble birth all have the, they are in the nominative, masculine, plural case. Okay, nominative means that this is the subject of the sentence. Clear? Good with that? Masculine, that's the gender of that word. And it's plural. It's talking about a bunch of people, right? Is that simple? So the verse, the word, the verse 26 talks about people. Verse 27, when it says what is foolish, what is weak, all those words are not of that similar form. They are of the accusative, which is the subject of the sentence, neuter, plural form. It's purposefully in the neuter form. And I would say neuter back in the day, but I've learned better. My wife has taught me English really well. <laughs> okay. So accusative, neuter, plural form. And that is there for a reason, okay? Because verse 27 is not about us. And I have missed this all along. I always saw verse 26 and 27 in the same, I read it in the same breath. God is showing us who he has chosen, all right, in 26, and verse 27 is talking about what God does. This is not us. 
It's talking about God's work. And last week we heard from Danny when he preached about how God's message is, is foolishness. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It makes no sense. God's way of doing things makes no sense. The, the actual word for foolish in this passage is the root word and how we get the word moron. When the world sees what God does, it's, it's idiotic. It makes no sense. When people see God as someone who chooses his people and he sees us, it makes no sense. This is God's doing. So what Paul is saying is, he's saying, hey, guys, look at this. God called you. God called you, all right? God chose us. And this is what he does. Verse 27 and 28 is not a description of our skills or ability. I think so, so often I've seen this verse and said, well, I, you know, yeah, I qualify. It's good. But this is not about me. This is about God's work. And why, why is this important for us to remember or to realize the value of this passage? Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The more and more we realize who we are in Christ, of what he's done to us, and how little we play a role in his doing, we have no reason to be prideful in ourselves. God's doing is never in need of man's helping. God's doing is never in need of man's helping. God's accomplishments don't depend on our contributions. They don't. And the, the church in Corinth had this issue where they, were, they, were, they, they had gifts, they had all these talents, and they were bragging about it. They made a big deal about what God was doing in their lives and through them. And, and Paul had to remind them of this, of this truth. And as we go further in the book of Corinthians, we'll see more and more of Paul talking about these things with them very directly. And verse 30, this, this for me was like a breath of fresh air when I read it this couple of weeks ago. Verse 30 is such a beautiful verse. And it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And the, word, the phrase, because of him, in the Greek, it actually says, by his doing. By his doing. Until this point, you see, man is not doing anything. In this whole relationship with God and man, man is not doing anything. And we see here, because of him, because of his doing, again, Paul is reminding us that it's God who's doing his work. It's not me. It's not me toiling for him. It's God doing his work to rescue me and to love me and to, to reveal himself more and more unto me. Right? You are in Christ Jesus. The word in is such a beautiful word. You know, uh, I'm sure most of you have made this prayer to ask inviting Jesus into your hearts, right? And you want to say, how? I'm, he's in my heart and I'm in, I'm in him. How does that work? And this is, again, that mystery, that, that foolishness, right, of this world. Because we are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, yes, and we are in Christ Jesus. And the word in is not that you're in this weird spatial spot there, you know, like this new age thing, but you are, we are fitted in Christ Jesus, we, we, are, we are secure in Christ Jesus, which means that when I'm in Christ Jesus, because of his doing, whatever I face in my life, I see it through his eyes. I, I, God lets me feel things when things go wrong the way I should feel it because I'm seeing life and experiencing life through him. I'm seeing the world through his eyes, through, through his guidance and work in me. And then it says, who became to us the wisdom of God, and that is the ability to, to know God. Without God revealing his, his self to us, we cannot know him. No matter how much you read the Bible, you will never know him. I know people in India who've, who've done major works of translations for the Bible in other languages, who were scholars in that language, who don't believe in Jesus. You can read the Bible and still not know Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 17 says, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The next word that's used over here is righteousness. Christ became to us righteousness. And righteousness is the condition to be accepted by God. So none of us here are perfect, right? I hope so, because we kind of strange that you said, I'm, I got to figure it out. We all are a work in progress. And Jesus says, you're not ready yet, but it's okay. I'm going to give you my righteousness because your righteousness, your morality, everything sucks, right? It's, the Bible says that it's as filthy rags in front of God. So Jesus says, you're not ready yet, but I'm going to give you this advance. I'm going to give you my righteousness so that you can walk up to my father and call him daddy, and he will not kill you. He will not destroy you because I'm, I'm covering you with my righteousness. That's God's work in us, whether we, des- whether we don't deserve it at all. And then Christ became to us sanctification. And this is the process where Jesus says, I'm going to work with you slowly. I'm going to gently, slowly work with you till you die to slowly transform you into my likeness. You're not going to get it right. And I'll reveal things to you that you cannot handle um, maybe 10 years ago, right? There are things in my life that I know if someone told me this five years ago, I would have said, no way, that's not me at all. But now I see a different side of me that God has revealed to me of how prideful or how arrogant I I am. And the more and more I, I continue to follow Christ, he reveals things to me that I never saw before. And that is Christ doing in us. The more and more you grow and walk with him, he'll continue to work in you. He's, it's, he's a very patient God. And finally, redemption. And our deliverance, our liberation that was paid by the death of Jesus Christ. Our final destination. So Christ has become to us the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Do we see any part in this journey that you and I play? We don't. We don't. You know, I think we, we humanize God when we believe that he needs us to accomplish his plans. We make him another man. And we, we deify ourselves when we believe that we are essential for his plans to be fulfilled. We become gods in our own eyes when we believe that, well, I'm, I, God needs me, you know. I'm this amazing speaker. I'm, I this, I'm, I'm this wonderful worship leader or whatever that is. We, we start to glorify ourselves, and, which, is not, which is, again, prideful, right? Our value and worth should come from what God has done for us and not on what we do for him. And this is, I think, important for us who are in the ministry and those of us who serve in, you know, as volunteers. We should never let our skills, our abilities, and personality take the center stage in our ministry. It's so easy. It's so easy to become, you know, to be known for what we do by our skills, right? Oh, he can sing really well, oh. He's a wonderful guitarist, right? Oh, I love the way so-and-so does certain things, right, or preaches. It's so easy to get caught up on that. But maybe never let those things define who we are. Ultimately, it's God who's working in us. So this morning, if you came here and you're being convicted, it's not my talking. It's not what I'm saying. It's God's work in, in this place. I have nothing to do with it. I'm just a vessel in his hand. If the band is leading worship and you think, God, I feel God is working in my heart. It's not the band. It's God's spirit working here. We should never forget that. All right, so I'm going to take you back to that story I was talking about. Remember the kitten? Okay. So a couple of days ago, after this, after this event happened, I, you know, we were hanging out in the, in the mango grove, and they were doing some cleanup work, some chopping down trees and everything. And the buddy who had rescued the kitten, the same guy, uh, found a nest that had fallen off a tree, which was, which was chopped down. And there were, I think, two little birds that were on the ground that he, he saw, and he, 
he put those little birds in the broken nest and tried to find a place for it, but he couldn't find a tree because the tree was chopped down. So he brought the nest to our house, okay? And we were wondering what to do with this because I'm not going to try, you know, mouse-to-beak, you know, feeding process. I don't, you know, I'm not going to do that. I don't know how that works, you know. And these were like really, really small birds. Like their eyes were still closed and they had no feathers on them. And we just waited and we thought, you know what, let's just take it out to the, what you would call a fence. We would call it a, com a compound wall, right, this concrete wall. What's seven feet tall, we thought we'd put this nest on that wall and see if the birds will, will come and rescue it. And I'm no bird expert. They were pretty. They had colors on them, but that's all I knew. And there were about 10, 15 birds that showed up and circling around this nest and making a lot of noise and ruckus. And I could not see, I did not see any bird feeding them or taking care of these birds. This went on for a couple of hours, so we're just waiting for something to happen. And then, as I mentioned earlier, it was monsoon season, right? It's, it's cold, it's wet. And these birds are now just out there just screaming their lungs out for some kind of help. And all these birds are around, but not really doing much. Then it got later, 10 o'clock at night or so, and now the, the birds that were there are kind of dissipating. They're going, we're going back to their trees where they came from. And the little birds were getting quieter now. So I was wondering, are they dying? You know, are they just falling asleep in their hunger? I don't know. But they were not making much noise anymore. And about 10 o'clock, I, uh, I see a cat walking on the wall. And this wasn't the kitten we, we rescued, just so you know. <laughs> uh, we had that for dinner the night before. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, no. no. <laughs> so this, this cat walks. <laughs> I have a heart, I promise. Okay. <laughs> this cat walks towards the, the nest and it, it picks up a, a bird and walks away. And when I saw that, my heart broke. I felt so helpless. Like, how, how, what can I do in this place? Like, I just could not, do not know what to do. And I, I did not want to see that anymore. I turned away, it started, again, journaling, I'm, I'm going to guess, uh, to avoid thinking about this. And then my buddy who got the nest to the, to the house would say, hey, John, John, hey, look at this. There's another cat coming up on the, on the wall. Like, dude, no, I don't want to hear about this. And I get this whole live commentary, commentary of how this, another cat showed up and picked up the second bird and walked away. And that's the end of the story. Okay, uh, what I'm trying to get to you is that, that that evening, you know, I was I was totally, totally devastated, and something dawned on me. What dawned on me was that this is more of a truthful description of my rescue by God. That I was I was that helpless bird that got picked up by the cat. I was dead in my sins. I wasn't alive, hopeless. But God, in His mercy rescued me, and he's done the same work for you as well. That's who we are without Jesus. That's who we are without Christ's work in us. We are dead. We are completely dead. You are in the morgue with a tag on your big toe, right? That's how dead you are without Christ. And I was talking to Bren about my sermon, just going through this verbally with him a couple of days ago, and he made a good point. He said, the story of the kitten would have been, would have been beautiful in its own way if the cat died. And Christ jumped in the well, knowing that there were spikes under the water, and got that cat, the dead kitten, and gave it new life. That would be the picture of salvation. Amen? And I love this verse in Matthew, where Jesus says, how often he longs to gather as how a hen gathers its chickens under its wings. So I'm going to have the band come up, if you guys are ready. And I want to talk about this, because I think when I, when I first 
And this, when this hit me, right, I was saying, God, how do I respond to you? What is my response to you, right? And I think there are three responses that I want, I, I had this week, and I'm praying that you'll have the same as well, that God will speak to you. The first thing is conviction, okay? A conviction to know that, that, that God is bigger than we can ever imagine. And the, the, truth, the truth is this, that, that God does not need you. God does not need you. God does not need me. But by his mercy and by his grace, he invites us to play a role in his kingdom. He does not need us. He could do very well without us. But he invites us to play a role in his kingdom. The second thing is, if there's any pride in us, if you have been putting a lot of value on what you bring to the table, on how important you feel you are in God's kingdom, maybe you haven't said that, maybe but you believe in your heart that you are this amazing person, that God, it's good for God that you are on his team, right? If that's been your attitude towards God, I pray for conviction. I pray for repentance. That you will say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I, thank you for using me, but I don't want to ever, ever lose track of who you are and how big you are in my life. And the third thing I want you to think about is a sense of comfort. Because knowing this, that God doesn't depend on me, I'm excited. I'm happy because... I, I can, I can be who God wants me to be and not worry about performing for him and not be this high performer for Jesus. God, all that God wants is for us to be humble and follow him today, be faithful to him today. And, you know, there is a response of man that we have to continue to pursue God, right? We, we have to continue to be in God's word and read God's word. So there's an element of us responding to God, but this is after all that God has done for us. So this morning... If you are someone who needs to repent, do so, okay? Don't be, don't, don't be prideful about that. Maybe God's working in your heart to not be prideful, to say, God, I'm, I need to repent for being prideful. And maybe if you are someone who has, been, who has been having this weight on your shoulder to do all these things to God, to make him happy, or to, to you feel like you're responsible for all the people that you are trying to witness to, I want you to find comfort that God is going to do what he does. We have to submit ourselves to God and say, God, in my wisdom, in my knowledge, I'm going to share the truth. I'm going to parent the way I believe your word says. Beyond that, I, I cannot control God. And I pray that you will, you will raise my children the way you want, want me to raise them, that you'll help me raise my children, right? If you have, I want you to just feel a sense of peace knowing that God is in control, that God is bigger than, and God knows what he's doing. So let's close our eyes. Let's pray for us. Pray. God, we want to thank you that you are sovereign, and we are not. We're so thankful that you don't, you don't depend on us, God. You don't, you don't need us, but you invite us to play a role in your kingdom. And may that give us joy. May that give, a, give us confidence. We thank you for Jesus, for all the work that he's done for us, for all the work that he's doing in us. We thank you, God, that we, we are safe and secure in you. Fill our hearts with joy and with gratitude, God. May there be no boasting in us. May there be no arrogance in us in, in, in front of your, in your presence. Help us to know you more. Help us to grow in you, God. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.